Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, January 30th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, everyone could be a winner in Iowa. Let's talk electability and Sanders. Bloomberg spends big on a gun control ad. The impeachment trial could end tomorrow. And a stamp now is a stamp forever. It is four days until the Iowa caucuses, 12 until the New Hampshire primary, and 278 days until the general election. And here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Iowa, 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 we're just days from Iowa's caucuses. And yes, we all spend too much time focused on this first in the nation contest. It and then New Hampshire have been the crucible for helping shake out the ultimate party nominees, but so far in this cycle, we're still seeing a big block at the top of potential winners. Because of the, yes, I'm going to tell you again, 15% threshold for each candidate in each of the nearly 2,000 precincts caucusing in Iowa, and with so many candidates within the margin of error of each other in the polls, and with several candidates with significant support below 15% statewide, Well, it's going to be interesting in that Iowa may not, in fact, decide anything at all. Nate Silver digs into some potential outcomes in Iowa. He notes 538's model as of last night showed Senator Bernie Sanders with a 37% chance of winning the most votes, but Silver emphasizes that's a 63% chance he won't. And because of the caucus structure, Sanders is likewise predicted to win over a majority of pledged statewide delegates from Iowa, or 23, at a 39% chance. But a lot of scenarios would give Sanders quite a good proportion of votes over the state, but receiving far fewer delegates. Another candidate could have fewer votes and win more caucuses, shades of the Electoral College. 538 even shows Senator Amy Klobuchar on the board with a 3% chance of receiving the most votes. Klobuchar said Tuesday night, by the way, that she wasn't entering a pact with any other candidate for viability. Biden's campaign had reached out to Klobuchar's staff, but both sides had already dismissed it as not very serious. Lisa Lehrer at the New York Times points out that Iowa could leave many candidates claiming victories even without winning majorities or high pluralities of votes or delegates. Quote, for Amy Klobuchar, who's been languishing in fifth place in the Iowa polls, that might mean placing third in delegates. For Elizabeth Warren, who's been sliding behind Bernie Sanders in recent polls, it might mean besting her liberal rival in raw votes. She explains that the three top polling candidates might see this result, quote, Mr. Sanders wins the raw total, Joe Biden wins the delegate count, and Mr. Buttigieg wins the rural counties. End quote. This result, by the way, is because Iowa has added transparency to the caucus process and will release enormously more information about votes and delegates than in previous cycles. This time around, Iowa Democrats will release three sets of numbers. The first alignment, which includes the non-viable candidates' totals, The final alignment showing the configuration after all the horse trading has occurred and representing the precinct voting and delegates, the state delegate equivalents calculated from that final alignment. The AP notes, quote, the new rules were mandated by the DNC as part of a package of changes sought by Bernie Sanders following his loss to Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential primaries. The changes were designed to make the caucus system more transparent and to make sure that even the lowest performing candidates get credit for all the votes they receive, end quote.
Former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg has scheduled two-thirds of his remaining campaign events in the less liberal eastern part of Iowa, while nine out of ten of former Vice President Joe Biden's events will be held there. This is all part of the game of candidates convincing voters to pick them not out of pure political preference, but in part because of expediency. They are stressing electability, a magical and unknown quantity that each candidate claims makes them uniquely able to defeat President Donald Trump in November. That pro-Israel Democratic super PAC that started running ads against Bernie Sanders in Iowa yesterday, which I discussed on the previous podcast installment, wanted to convince voters to pick someone, anyone besides Sanders in the interests of electability. Just by the way, Sanders' campaign raised $1.3 million in campaign contributions on Wednesday by just telling his supporters about the ad before it had even started to air in heavy rotation. Over at The Atlantic, David Frum wrote an essay recently titled, Bernie Can't Win, from a conservative, a speechwriter for George H.W. Bush, and a never-Trump Republican has been an avid critic of the GOP since the rise of Obama conspiracies and the Tea Party. Frum's take on electability isn't something like, oh no, he's a socialist, he can't win, and I don't want him to, a view expressed by a number of never-Trump Republicans, including the New York Times' Brett Stevens. Rather, Frum says Trump will be able to demonize Sanders' past and current beliefs more effectively than any other leading Democratic candidate. Quote, Trump will terrorize the suburban moderates with the threat that Sanders will confiscate their health insurance and stock holdings, if not their homes. Trump accused Democrats of pro-Ayatollah sympathies for noticing that his story about the killing of Qasem Soleimani was full of holes. In 1980, Sanders joined a left-wing party whose presidential candidate condemned, quote, anti-Iranian hysteria around the U.S. hostages, end quote, being held at the U.S. embassy in Tehran, suggesting that, quote, many of them are simply spies or people assigned to protect the spies, end quote, as Ronald Radosh reported in the Daily Beast. Imagine what Trump and his team will do with that, end quote. This is certainly a reasonable concern, as Sanders has a long career from which to choose remarks and positions. But Frum also argues that Sanders has done so well in part because he has ignored what conservatives tend to call identity politics, things like race, gender identity, and sexual orientation, in favor of issues that are important to a social class of voters. Frum writes, quote, Sanders seldom talks specifically to non-white voters. His message to them is the same as his message to everyone. Universal health coverage and student debt relief, more redistribution from rich to poor, reducing the power of money in politics, end quote. Frum makes the case that Sanders' approach is the right one, but that he is too fragile, ornery, angry, and extreme to win in the general election. But I would also caution taking advice from moderate Republicans given to Democrats about how to win general elections. The conventional never-Trump wisdom in the 2018 midterms was to play to a perceived moderate middle. Instead, House Democrats went left, sometimes hard left, and emphasized health care, jobs policy, wages, gun control, and gender equality, and picked up over 40 seats and a House majority. House races are not the presidency, though, and the election of the next executive is teetering on a handful of swing states, many of them with workers of all races who the economy has left behind. Meanwhile, the New York Times reports on Biden baggage with some of those key voters. A mid-January national poll from SurveyUSA put Sanders neck and neck with Biden in union households. 
The Times writes, quote, Nicole McCormick, a West Virginia music teacher who helped organize a statewide walkout that made national headlines in 2018, said she worried that Mr. Biden wasn't, quote, willing to push for the things that we as Americans look at as radical, but the rest of the world looks at and is like, we did that 50 years ago, end her quote. She cited expanded access to unions, universal health care, and paid parental leave as examples, end New York Times quote. The big issue is going to be that the ultimate nominee has to bring out the voters in numbers as proportionally large and diverse as when Obama won re-election. A new Associated Press NORC poll released this morning found three-quarters of both Democratic and Republican voters are highly motivated to cast ballots. Republican voters, however, are more excited than Democrats, 43% to 33%, and Democrats not surprisingly more frustrated given the long and wide primary season, 62% to 42%. The poll surveyed 1,353 adults with a plus or minus 3.6% margin of error. The AP explained, quote, a party usually wants its voters excited rather than anxious, said George Marcus, a political scientist at Williams College who has studied the role of emotion in politics and polling. Marcus found that voters who report fear and anxiety are more likely to be confused and split their vote. It creates the possibility for persuasion, Marcus said of voter worry. If I'm an anxious Democrat, I may stay home. I may vote Republican. You want your base to be either really angry at the other side or really enthusiastic. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag, thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and, boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TryPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter VOICES at tryplexiderm.com. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need Home Title Lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Rick. 
Remember a few weeks ago when we heard that both billionaire Democratic candidate Mike Bloomberg and President Trump had purchased one-minute ads during the Super Bowl? We now know what Bloomberg will focus on. Gun control. Gun control is a major focus of Bloomberg's non-candidate political activity. He's the main funder for Every Town for Gun Safety, which has spent massively to assist in passing laws in states restricting unfettered access to guns and, on its political side, spending to support and oppose candidates for office based on their stances on gun control. The ad features Calandrian Kemp, who provides its narration and appears on screen at times. Her son George was shot and killed in 2013 at mechanic school at age 20. The ad is a tearjerker and emphasizes Bloomberg. Quote, when I heard Mike was stepping into the ring, now we have a dog in the fight. I know Mike is not afraid of the gun lobby. They're scared of him. End quote. Long considered one of several third rails in politics, support for a variety of restrictions on gun sales and ownership, along with rules around gun safety, have garnered the backing in many polls of a majority of Americans, often including a majority of gun owners and Republicans, depending on the specific issue. Gun safety and regulation was a major 2018 midterm issue, and some candidates who ran on avowed gun control platforms won their seats. Deaths from gun violence haven't featured prominently yet in the Democratic nomination process, but Elizabeth Warren announced a new Senate bill this morning co-sponsored with other Democratic senators called the Gun Violence Prevention and Community Safety Act. It's a comprehensive set of federal policies for licensing, background checks, gun storage, oversight of gun dealers, research, and more. With a Republican-controlled Senate, with Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky at the helm, it has little chance of even reaching the floor and no chance of passing. But it's a good set of talking points for Warren's campaign and a blueprint in case the Senate shifts to Democratic control in the fall. Now, your daily impeachment update. Senators continue to ask questions for the second day. Yesterday, celebrity defense attorney and emeritus Harvard Law School professor Alan Dershowitz, who is a member of Trump's defense team, said in response to one question that a president can act in a way that improves their odds of re-election if they think it's in the national interest. Because most politicians believe their re-election is in the national interest, QED, all self-interested acts are thus not impeachable, he argued. That was fascinating and not supported by any legal or historical precedent or evidence, and even some Republicans looked dubious. Today on Twitter, Dershowitz said more or less that he never said what he said, but, you know, you can watch the tape. The president's team also said senators needed to use the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt to find the president guilty of the articles of impeachment, the same as used in a criminal trial. The Constitution doesn't specify any criteria, nor was that criterion used in any previous impeachment trial, nor was it set in the rules for this one. Impeachment is a political process. It does not depend on a crime being committed. It is the will of the House to achieve a simple majority, and the will of the Senate to vote with a two-thirds majority in favor of articles of impeachment that represent whatever Congress decides are high crimes and misdemeanors. That's it. Tomorrow, the whole game could be over. McConnell appears to have the 50-vote minimum necessary to prevent witnesses from being called. I will repeat my prediction that I've been making for several days that a few senators will vote for witnesses, particularly Susan Collins of Maine, in order to show the least possible defiance of the president and McConnell, but they will do so with the advanced knowledge that they won't prevail. GOP senators plan to move aggressively forward to acquit Trump of the articles with which he was charged if the witness motion fails. That could mean the trial would be over as early as Friday evening, but maybe as late as Saturday. House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi countered this plan with what will clearly be part of a messaging strategy for the election. 
You cannot be acquitted if you don't have a trial, and you don't have a trial if you don't have witnesses and documentation and, and that. I would hope that the, the senators, if it comes to a tie or if there's a question of hearing testimony or do receiving documents, would leave it up to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Finally, a little bittersweet event today. Gwen Ifill, long part of the PBS NewsHour and co-host of it for the last three years of her life, and the longtime moderator of Washington Week, now appears on a postage stamp. In a dedication ceremony today, the pioneering African-American political journalist was remembered. Her stamp is the 43rd in the USPS Black Heritage Series. Eiffel covered eight presidential campaigns, moderated two vice presidential debates, and co-moderated with her PBS NewsHour co-host a debate between Sanders and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in February 2016. Eiffel, who died in 2016, was well-liked and respected for her uncompromising fairness and dedication to promoting discourse that led to understanding instead of screaming. Get your stamps today. And that's the election ride home for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. Look to the internet at ridehome.info. I'm also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. If you enjoy things to do with type and printing, check out my Tiny Type Museum project, which is at tinytypemuseum.com. Tune in again tomorrow for the next update. Thanks for listening and have a pleasant late afternoon or evening.